Welcome to Podcasting Stories, insights and interviews from people just like you, using podcasts to grow their business and share their message. Podcasting Stories is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Dave Spray. Welcome to the Podcasting Stories podcast. My name is David Spray, and today we're talking with Bethany Andell from Savage Brands right here in Houston, Texas. Bethany has a long history in branding and marketing, and we had a great conversation about the unique way that they approach branding and marketing, some examples of how they help companies better align their values with their message and actions, the book that she wrote, what she wishes she knew at 25, whether she prefers Tex-Mex or barbecue, and many other interesting insights. This is a great episode, especially if you are interested in how companies go to the next level by better aligning vision with message and actions. Let's get to the show. Bethany, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, David. I'm excited to talk with you today. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. So I'm a CPA by training, so I'm kind of a chronological thinker. So let's start <laughs> at the beginning. Are you okay. a native Are you a native Houstonian? Oh, we're starting at the very beginning, the huh? The very beginning. <laughs> I am a native born and raised Houstonian. I tried to escape a couple of different times and just kept coming back. So there you go. I think that's pretty typical of Texans. I think so. I am jealous. I'm a uh, Houstonian by choice, not by birth. My wife's a native Houstonian, so I'm a native Houstonian by marriage, I guess. Well, you know that you are welcomed here, so. <laughs> yeah, that's the great thing about Houston is is 95% of the people are, are not native Houstonians. So yeah, everybody's a, a newcomer to one degree or another. So, okay. So let's fast forward about 18 years. So did you stay in Texas for college? No. In fact, when I just mentioned, I tried to get out. So my first attempt at that was college. And it was it's interesting because my parents really advocated for a leave of state for college, if you will, to me and my brother as an opportunity really to get out of Texas see what else is out there, meet new people with the attitude really that you can always come back. And so mm -hmm. I ended up at the University of Arizona of all places. That's in oh, okay. for the, yeah. the wildcat. And yeah. uh, I can't say I had a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it earned its reputation, I'll say. <laughs> well, that is great for your parents. You know, so many parents, you know, just kind of selfishly, they want the kids to stay closer. And then oftentimes the parent who's more financially aware is more focused on in-state tuition. So kudos to your parents for having the, the vision to encourage you and your brother to take a walk on the wild side, if you will. I absolutely. I have a ton of appreciation for them. I mean, it came with some rules around it. <laughs> oh, it did? Yes. What, what kind of rules? <laughs> well, I had to uh, graduate in four years. Okay. That was a requirement. So there okay. was no kind of sloughing off and having a fifth or sixth or seventh year because they were sending me out, you know, out of state. Um, right. I had to earn my car. You know, I had to, my freshman year, I didn't get my car. So I had to earn that through grades. So there were some stipulations that they put in place, but that's fair. That's reasonable. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. Okay. So then you graduate and I believe you decided to enter the movie business in Los Angeles. Is that right? Yes, sir. And what attracted you to that industry? 
Well, this sounds a little bit lame, but I, I love movies. I've always yeah. loved movies. Uh, my yeah. dad and I, we, this, I just grew up going to the theaters with my dad, especially my dad. And my original attraction was, you know, when I was young, I remember watching films and I was paying attention to what was happening behind the actors, like the environment behind the actors. And I got entranced by the movie magic. I know sometimes you can watch a movie and you're like, oh, wait a second. You know, that cup was there in this scene and it's gone in this scene. And so what's really happening behind the scenes uh, or behind the actor? And so much of it isn't real. So when mm -hmm. I started to think about that, I was like, that's cool. And I really want to do that. So I knew early on, like maybe seventh or eighth grade, that I wanted to try and get into film as there's a profession called set design and yeah. art direction. And I didn't know that at the time, but I figured that out once I started figuring, you know, what am I going to do and how am I going to break in? And then I just got, I got hooked. So I kind of planned to go out to Hollywood from an early age and knew that even when I went to Arizona, I kind of knew that I would pack up my car and move to LA as my next step. So that worked out. And, and I think it really bridges nicely into what I do today. And we can get into that later, but that's pretty much the story. Okay. Well, and you've anticipated my next question. So it seems like your future was set in, in Hollywood there, but then uh, you decided to uh, return to Houston. What brought you back to Houston? So I, my mom founded Savage Brands, which is the company that I now own and run. And I, growing up, I mean, I grew up in the business with her, you know, working summers, et cetera, going to late night press checks in the middle of the night because she didn't have, you know, anyone to take care of us. And I never anticipated being a part of that company. It was never put upon me. That was the plan. Although I think she thought it would be nice. But we got to a point when I was living out in LA where she was trying to sell the business and really think about her succession plan. And we had a buyer and the, the buying CEO backed out literally the night before uh, the close of the transaction. And so she thought about that a little bit and called me and said, I really think it would behoove you to come back to Houston and see if this company is something that you want to be a part of before I start looking for a different plan. And it was pretty tempting because part of her idea was I needed to earn my place at Savage and earn that position. But she, the company would send me to Rice for my MBA. And I would, you know, obviously I wasn't going to turn down uh, a graduate degree. And so that got me back to Houston. So it was part of her grand plan. Looking back, you know, it was very strategic of her. She knew exactly what she was doing. <laughs> she sounds very, very strategic. She was strategic enough to send you away. And then she was strategic enough to know how to lure you back. She knew how to get me back. She did not want to lose me to California. <laughs> that is, that is awesome. So then you, you picked up your MBA at Rice and I needed that, by the way, that was, did you? Why that did you was need instrumental. It? Why well, did you need that? You know, I was a graphic design major, so there's zero business related to taking classes in graphic design. And if I was going to come back and serve clients, 
that also own and run businesses or serve as executives in businesses, then I really needed to have a better skill set in the areas of business and management and leadership. And I think Bryce really set me up for that. And Hollywood, there's a misconception about Hollywood, um, you know, that it's, that it's weird. And the reality is it's a business like any other. It's hardworking people, incredibly talented people. They're trying to make an impact in the world. They're doing that through storytelling and entertainment. But the business itself is set up very differently than what I would say corporate America. So uh, I think it was really helpful positioning me to move into Savage by having that education before I did it. Yeah, I can appreciate that. And so what year was that you returned to Houston, that you made your triumphant return to Houston? 98, 99, oh. 99. 99. <laughs> I had to think about that second. 99, I came back and, to Houston. And how long did it take before your mother was comfortable that you were the, that you, that you were the, the future leader and she kind of started to step back? So... Let's see, I started working at the company when I graduated from business school in 2001, and I wholesale took uh, majority ownership and kind of the corner office, if you will, in December of 2012. So she was around for a while. Okay. Part, of that, part of that was you know, me giving me the opportunity to learn every aspect of the business. She didn't want a sense of nepotism, right? I really had to earn mm-hmm. my stripes. Mm-hmm. at Savage. So I worked pretty much in every area of the business, moved on to be president while she was CEO. And then we worked on a plan in order for the business to buy her out. And she wanted, and you know, bless her, it's her baby. You know, our buyout took several years. And so she wanted to stay active as a part of the company during that process until it was final. So okay. in 2012, that was final. I, I literally moved into her office and that made a huge difference for me and the perception I believe that our employees at the time had of me because it's difficult when you're working with your mom, she was kind of the queen Mm -hmm. um, and people would go to her. She was seen as the final decision maker, seen as the visionary, seen as the ultimate leader of the organization. So it, it physically took her leaving the office and deciding not to work at Savage for me to start earning that reputation with with my employees. Um, that is so interesting. Yeah, that is so interesting that because, you know, one school of thought is who cares which office you're in, right? right. I mean, we're all part of the team and who cares? But it's interesting that there was a symbolic uh there was a symbolism to that corner office, if you will. And because she had been there so long, right? I mean, she started Absolutely. it, ran it for decades. And so that is, that is interesting. Yeah. It okay. She's still the chair. She's still our chairman and she's still, you know, I go to her for a lot. She really has been instrumental in, in my own success. And I know obviously the company continues to be. Oh, well, that's, that is a great story. You know, sometimes a family, working together does not always have such a happy outcome. So that's great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. Well, let's talk more about the wonderful business that your mother uh, started and then she entrusted to you. So what makes Savage unique in the marketing and branding space? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with what we believe because I think okay. that that really drives 
what makes us stand apart. I mean, I know this is lofty, but I see a world in which people actually love coming to work on Mondays. And I know okay. that's a lot to ask, but it depends. depends on the company. Yeah, but exactly. So you just said it. It depends on the company. And the reality is, if you think about the brands that you love, those brands are really built from the inside out. I mean, you are very clear on what that company stands for. And you know that everything that company does is in service to delivering on a purpose. And so with that, you see really intentional values and cultures coming to life inside the organization. People want to be a part of it. So if you think about branding that way, your people are your brand. It's not a logo. You know, it's not the stuff. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily the product that you buy off of the shelf. And so we've really organized our company and how we think about branding and and brand strategy and the branding process around the kinds of experiences that you deliver to your employees, to your customers, to your suppliers, to investors, even the community. And so what ends up making us different is that, you know, one, we help you figure out what you stand for. And that's not a bunch of people from the outside world telling you what you should stand for. It's you as a leadership team determining that, um, what your vision is. And then bringing that to life through uh, your brand experience, not just the logos and words. And so Mm -hmm. you see this, I mentioned your favorite brands and we ask people, you know, what are your favorite brands? You're always going to get answers like Southwest Airlines and USAA and Whole Foods and Disney. And if you go, if you think about those brands, those retail brands, they all know what they stand for. And I just, our belief, and we really only serve the B2B market, is that this couldn't be more relevant to B, but for some reason, B2B companies have been slow to adopt this idea that maybe purpose drives performance and performance drives profit versus profit being the front end of the uh, uh, equation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, isn't profit a byproduct of being a really great company? And so if we can develop brands that are purposeful, we're going to be a multiplier of that profit. Yeah. In fact, you have a, a quote in your book that talks about that, but we're, I'll, I won't mention the quote till we get to your book though. So, uh, okay. So that's, that's great. And so I guess, you know, some of that differentiator is helping B2B companies realize what customer experience they want their customers to have and the direction and philosophy of how they want their business to be. And in the end, the profit is a byproduct of uh, doing the, uh, the other things, right? Does that about right. summarize it? It is. And I'll note though, you know, it's not, you know, if you think about traditional marketing, right, that is very customer oriented. And the reality is, you know, you have to think about the experience that you want for your employees as well. It's really easy to say, uh, I know what I want from people. <laughs> <laughs> sure. it's, a different sto- it's a different story to say, you know, what do I want for people? What do I want mm. them to experience and, and sense and feel from my organization or even my leadership style? And so with that type of thinking, you know, you have to think about all the different stakeholders not just the customer. I guess there is no priority necessarily. Mm -hmm. Herb Kelleher says happy employees equal happy customers equal happy investors in that order. Right. (laughs) And he's on to something, clearly. For sure. uh, 
I guess pre-COVID, Southwest Airlines was the only airline to never have a year um, in the red. Right. So he's got he's yeah. got something. <laughs> yeah, he he really does. I uh, I love his whole story. It's a wonderful story. Yeah, they talk about how they would have pilots come in for an interview who were technically as proficient as could be, but they were rude to the receptionist, and you know, and that was it. No, no hiring them. So, so I'll give uh, a, a small, I'm going to give you a small little anecdote. And I, okay. and I don't know who else listening to this podcast. So I'm giving a, a trick away. A okay. Our receptionist is empowered to give us a signal when people come in to interview for a job, that person was uh, not treating her with respect. Oh, wow. And she, and she does it with a straw color. Really? So we have, <laughs> yeah. So she'll go, if somebody is rude to her, or disrespectful or, you know, just doing something just, you know, doesn't seem to fit what we know to be our values and our culture and our company, she will put a purple straw in their water or their drink. And then we know it's a signal to us that we are going to end that conversation very quickly. Wow. That's, uh, (laughs) that is, that is awesome. Talk about making the, making that employee feel empowered, right? Absolutely. That's a lot of responsibility because if she's having a bad day and just kind of misreads the candidate, I mean, that's a lot of responsibility that she's taking on with that purple straw, isn't she? It is. But, you know, it's you, Zappos always has that famous story where they pick you up at the airport and the driver of the van or the bus is actually an, a Zappos employee and they're paying attention to that too. And they'll just wheel you back around and drop you back off at the airport if, <laughs> if, you're, rude, if you're rude to the driver. But it makes sense, right? It's how, it does. When people don't think they're being watched, how do they really act? Yep. Oh, that's I don't I hadn't heard that Zappos story, but that's great. I'm gonna <laughs> gonna keep that in mind. And and I'm also gonna be careful if I'm ever in your offices and I'm offered yes. a drink to uh, keep Watch an out. eye on that straw color. <laughs> well, now we're not supposed to use straws either, so I've got to change the Sure. I guess to be safe, what I should do is just bring another color straw with me. And if I get the purple one, I'll surreptitiously swap them out. So so what are the types of companies who you're best positioned to serve? You'd mentioned B2B, but beyond that, what are some of the other characteristics of companies that you most enjoy working with? Well, you know, it's interesting. We're, we're industry agnostic. I would say that, you know, we, we pretty much work with companies that are you know, 50 plus employees. But what's more important to us is a psychographic of who we're working with. Like it, okay. it's really important for us to know that the CEO or leadership and or business owner leadership team is willing to care or cares about their people and is willing to invest in their culture and that they as leaders are, they're not creating values for other people to follow, but they are going to serve as role models in the organization around the work that we're doing. So is this a company that really is going to put their money where their mouth is and do what they say, walk the talk? Those leaders make our best partners because the end of the day, you know, we don't want to be in a position where we're quote unquote false advertising. We don't want to put communications out there to help a company with recruiting or marketing or even internal engagement, like a safety campaign. But the real intention behind those words isn't there. 
So it's mm-hmm. so important to us that um, that we're working with really authentic people or leaders that care about their organization and what's happening on the inside. So how do you identify that? I mean, is it just kind of a gut feeling? Do you have like a checklist that you go through when you first meet with a potential client? Well, you know, there's some signals that we have looked for. You're giving away my targeting strategy here. If it's a leader that does a lot of self-development, like they're in a Vistage or an entrepreneur's mm-hmm. organization or YTO, that is a signal to me that they care about their own personal development and becoming a better leader. And so that's a sign that they probably invest in their people. So that's a that's a good place for me to look. Another is whether they're involved with things out in the community because it shows heart and shows that, you know, it's kind of more of a servant leadership piece that you're looking at. So there's ways to kind of to suss that out. And then obviously when, you know, you know this and in any business you're looking for fit. It's not just a a client looking to hire Savage, but the Savage is a good fit in working with the client. And so we ask some questions pretty early on around values, around things that may be already happening in the company to get an idea of whether they're going to be a good cultural fit for us as a client. Okay. Does that, that make sense? It sure does. <laughs> but it, it sure is hard does. because it's not like, there's no like published list unless, you know, actually, I will actually, there is a published list. You know, I'd love to work with all of the best places to work companies. Sure. They've earned that for sure. a reason. So. Yep. Yep. So to give us a better idea of the, relationship you have with your, you call them partners. Could you kind of take us through like maybe what a a typical engagement or or work from like a real engagement, but, you know, keep the client's name confidential to just give people a sense of what working with Savage Brands over the course of a few years looks like? Sure. So yeah, it varies obviously client to client. There most of the time they are coming in because they're experiencing something fairly significant as far as a business transformation, whether it's, you know, a merger or an acquisition and they're trying to integrate their company, or maybe there's leadership succession going on, or maybe there's been some reputational issue, maybe safety incidents where they've got a real, they've got to put a real lens on the behavior that's happening inside the organization. And there's kind of major change going on. Those are, kind of what I'll call triggers to why you would be looking at what we do. And I think right now, especially, we're seeing a lot of movement around the conversation of ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance. Mm -hmm. And because Savage has been doing values and purpose-driven branding for so long, you know, people are coming to us going, oh, wait, is this what you were talking about? (laughs) And in a way, we were talking about that because if you're caring about the sustain the long-term sustainability of your company, you're thinking like we are. So that's where kind of where we start. Something's going on that's pretty significant that they need some outsour- outside um, consultancy and help. The okay. way those engagements typically start is people freak out because it sounds like a lot of time, but it's really less time than a normal process, is two days in a room, call it a retreat, call it a workshop, call it what you want to articulate a company's purpose, mission, vision, values, and behaviors. And we have found that even company client companies that have those documented somewhere, they haven't been stress tested in a really long time. 
And most mm-hmm. of the time, there's at least a few new people on the management team or leadership team that have had no exposure to those. And so okay. it's, a really gr- it's a really good place to start because it's going to drive all of your decisions, all of your communications and all of your experiences going forward. So that's critical. That's pretty much any engagement unless we're working on a specific project. And then you would move into what I'll call more the storytelling. So what do we look like? What do we sound like? How do you take these this purpose of ours and these values and develop a brand, you know, essence and image? How does this feel? What's the personality? And you do that through mood boarding. You do that through all sorts of creative agents, sometimes even video to say, here's how we want to express ourselves to the world. And then from there, um, you would go into what we call experience visioning. So, okay, here's, we know who we are, what we stand for. We know how we want to show that story to the world. Now, what type of experience do we want to create? And we create a vision basically for the experience that a customer and employee, name the audience, uh, would have with your organization and say, okay, client, inside your own company, you know, what's happening that stands in support of all of this and what's happening that may contradict uh, how we want people to experience us. And that sets off a number of different initiatives that Savage doesn't even get involved with, really, but a number of initiatives that start engaging the employees. So thinking about how you're going to roll this out to the internal crew, if you just put values on a poster and stick it in a break room, you know, see you tomorrow, whatever, check it off the list. It's not going to work. It's not going to take hold. If you create experiences that involve employees in your process to make those values come to life, you know, they are going to be really champions of your brand going forward. So we use all of that to create the engagement and create change in the organization. And then we're typical. I mean, then from there, you you know, think about a branding and a marketing and a communications company where, you know, you're developing you know, marketing plans, launch plans, how are we going to communicate it? How are we going to reach different audiences? How are we going to build this tribe? And that's Mm -hmm, more of the traditional work that we do. So that's really kind of the longer tail is executing or implementing on a plan, which comes through in a number of ways, whether it's digital or uh, more traditional events, et cetera. So that's, that's very summarized and it's way more custom and tailored to the client, but you get the gist. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And I really appreciate that although clients may call you wanting you to move straight to tactical execution, <laughs> that it sounds like you're uh you recognize that without taking a step back and understanding the bigger picture that that the tactics really are almost a waste of time without the clarity of vision and mission. Absolutely. And I mean you're hitting it on the head, which is you know, people are, humankind is smart. So if you promise something in words and then the experience they have misses that mark, you actually have done yourself more harm than good because you're hurting your credibility and your reputation. Mm-hmm. So it, it's worth the patience and the time to get it right on the inside uh, before you're outward. Okay. Well, th- well, thank you for that. So given that this is a podcast about podcasting, let's talk about <laughs> podcasts, okay? Okay. So are you a regular podcast listener yourself? I I wish I was a <clears throat> more frequent listener. I'm an occasional listener is what I'd call myself, but it's not a okay. desire. It's not a desire. I'm never yeah. alone. <laughs> 
Oh, sure. If you're never alone, then when I'm do you never listen to a alone. podcast? So when I'm alone, yes, I do actually listen to podcasts. I like them very much. And I do, you know, some podcasts I listen to because it's like candy, like a movie. It helps me mm-hmm. escape. Um, mm-hmm. But when we're talking about, you know, subs- you know, substance-based podcasts, I really, the reason I like the podcast is I have a hard time motivating to read all of the business books that are stacking up on my bedside table. Sure. Um, and so much easier. I, the podcast format chunks the content out for me into bite-sized pieces that feel like I can accomplish it. I can listen to a 45 minute or a 30 minute segment and get something from it uh, versus committing to a book that just to me feels extremely daunting at times with the amount of reading I just do throughout the day for regular work. Sure. Sure. No, I can certainly understand that. So now we come to the most exciting part of the story where, yeah. where the, my, the path of my company intersected with the path of your company. Yes. And, and I must say you all left a very, very strong impression on me. And I'll tell you why here to just give you a bit of background. I don't know if you know the backstory, but I've had a podcast for several years for my primary business. And, and I'd had it for a couple years, did about an episode a month. And at the end of every interview, almost without fail, my guest would say, Oh, Dave, that's so great. You have a podcast. Like I'm jealous. I wish I had a podcast. Like I think it'd be so cool. And every time I would say, well, you should have one. Like I totally agree. And if you ever have questions or want to bounce anything off of me, give me a call. I'd be happy to help you share what we've learned. So after two years of that, nobody actually launched a podcast. And (laughs) I'm like, I wonder why that is. And so I had this hypothesis that it was because the barriers to entry of having a podcast, both real and imaginary and technological and emotional, were just too daunting. So on February 9th of this year, I tested this hypothesis. So I sent an email to three former guests. One of them is somebody that we both know, Chris Hanslick from Boyer Miller. And I just put in the email, hey, I know you were interested in doing a podcast, but you haven't launched. Is it because it's just too much? And if so, what if we created a podcast done for you service where we did everything and all you had to do was show up and record? Would you be interested in a podcast then. And two of the three said yes on the spot. And the third said, maybe. And that third was Chris Hanslick said, maybe. So on the morning of February 9th, I had an idea. And by five o'clock on February 9th, I had a new business. So uh, (laughs) that's the fun thing about being an entrepreneur, right? There's no, nothing stopping you. So, so fast forward. And basically we just took everything we'd learned from having our own podcast and just you know, basically replicated that. And, and so here's where it gets to the part of why I, I have such a fond feeling toward your firm. So you know, Chris said, maybe, and he said, you know, I'll get back to you. And a month later, I followed up, said, hey, have you given any more thought? And he said, here's what you should do. Talk to my marketing firm. And he had me call or talk to a couple of your teammates. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this thing is not going to go anywhere because they're because I was certain that I knew what was going to happen. I said, this marketing firm is going to talk to us and they're going to go back to Chris and say, 
hey, Chris, we can help you do this. I mean, it's not that complicated and we can do it for you. Like why involve somebody else? You already know us, you trust us. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, we already know everything about marketing and branding and communication. And to my surprise, a week later, Chris or your colleagues get back to me and say, yeah, Chris decided to move forward. So that is why I have such a, a very positive opinion of your firm, because I would have expected that most firms would have tried to kind of desperately hold on to anything that was that was even vaguely related to marketing. So first off, I just want to recognize that. And secondly, what is it about your firm and your team that that did not go down that path and and try to take on something that maybe wasn't their true core competency? Exactly that. Okay. <laughs> and I mean I mean as you know, it's interesting because I've really spent a lot of time thinking about partnership and relationships and this ecosystem. And I, and I've gotten frustrated over the years that everybody just keeps jumping into everybody else's sandboxes and claiming to do stuff that they really don't do or is not their core competency, because I think there's enough for all of us. And I think that Mm -hmm. if we all understand where we provide value or the most value, and if it really is all about the client and not self-serving for ourselves, then we end up with better relationships with people who can do it, do the types of work better than we can. And we end up in long-term relationships. Like I, I foresee, you know, that we will do additional podcasts with you or through you for other clients in the future. And I would rather have that network of experts that I trust and that I can refer then try and create all of that capability or learn it on the fly in my own organization. I just, it, it, it takes my focus, my eye off the ball, so to speak, of where I know Savage adds the most value. And mm-hmm. I see that a lot in, especially in the digital marketing and technology world too, where, you know, if we had to do everything in house that we provide for our clients, we would be a team of 75 people. <laughs> It would be turning and burning, and it would be impossible to be really good at any one thing. So, so that's okay. It's kind of that share the wealth or you know all tides rise mentality Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. there's enough work for all of us, and if we all do a great job, then marketing and brand will be more respected, and then that pie is going to grow. So, I love having partnerships, you know, like like ours with you. We've had a great time, kind of co-developing the podcast on Chris's behalf. And it's obviously already starting to benefit his business. Yeah. And and why don't we just mention that podcast? So it's called Building Texas Business. And so if you go search on your podcast player for Building Texas Business, or if you just search for Boyer Miller, B-O-Y-A-R-M-I-L-E-R, you can probably find it that way. And uh, yeah, I've really uh, enjoyed listening to the episodes. Uh, we're still small enough where we just passed 10 podcast clients now that I'm, I still listen to every single episode for every single client. And I realize the day may come that, that I may not have enough bandwidth, but right. I've really enjoyed Chris's uh, interviews. In fact, I think you were his second guest. That's how I, I was. I, yeah, it was after listening to that interview that I thought it would be fun to have Bethany on uh, my podcast and kind of hear the story. Okay, he's an he is a natural host. He's really fun and good at kind of 
reining me back in when I started to go off. Um, <laughs> yeah, he is off on a tangent, which I sometimes do, especially with Chris around because we're friends as well. But it's like, I don't know if it's years in the courtroom or what gave him that confidence and that ability to guide a conversation that well, but it was fun. Yeah, it is. In fact, I was just listening yesterday at his latest podcast with a gentleman who does executive search only for religious organizations, churches and religious schools. And and at the end of it, I sent Chris a quick email because Chris took kind of the approach of having a standard set of questions for every guest. And I've kind of vacillated from that. You know, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I, I just have a clean slate. But what is so cool about him doing that is that I can now contrast and compare those answers between the guests. And I always, and I know what questions are coming. And so, for example, the favorite question he asks that I'm going to go ahead and ask you, get off topic here, is barbecue or Tex-Mex? You know, my aunt, when you listen to my podcast, and my answer (laughs) is both. And I'll be very specific (laughs) why it's both. Because the owner, the executive chef and owner of the Pit Room Barbecue, which is amazing, also owns Candente, which is a Tex-Mex restaurant, and they put their barbecue in some of their Mexican food. So you can get both. Their brisket queso will blow you over. <laughs> you know, that was the exact same answer you gave uh, a month ago I, in his podcast. So I'm guessing, true. yeah, I'm guessing it's it's not a fleeting uh, interest in your part or, or on your part. No, so I that, mean it. And they're not a client. Like I'm not just like plugging them for a specific reason. I just love it that much. That's, that is, that is great. So, so kind of wrapping up the podcasting. So what do you anticipate some of the benefits that, and we don't have to talk about the Boyer Miller podcast specifically. Why don't we just talk generally? What do you think some of the benefits that you're anticipating that companies might have from having a podcast kind of from your perspective? I really feel like, and, you know, we're an integrated marketing firm. So our advisory really kind of looks at all the different channels and opportunities. And everyone is so, and I say everyone, I mean, everyone is so sick of all of the noise and more and more it's becoming critical to bring new content, thought leadership, and really build yourself as an authority in an area and expose people to new ways of thinking. Because, you know, ad after ad is just not, you know, not going to cut it and not going to attract anyone into your organization. And Boyer Miller has always kind of had a thought leadership marketing strategy. They're, they've always been big in the Texas business community. But, mm-hmm. you know, for others, too, it's like where we used to have, you know, events and big forums and big conferences. And now with COVID, you know, that's shrunk back. How can you still get out there and, you know, basically create a following for the type of content that you're producing? And I think one of the great benefits of, uh, of a podcast is that it has reach, you know, far, far beyond what you can do directly. And you can invite people into the conversation and therefore it's not incumbent upon you to create all the content. It's incumbent upon you to pull out really good content from your guests. And I think that's Mm -hmm. huge. And it, it adds an energy and a level of freshness 
uh, when you can do it through episodes and interviews or different types of dialogues that you see in, in typical podcast format. So I think it really is a part of the greater whole of a marketing strategy. And I imagine, you know, at least for Boyer Miller, it's obviously going to help build awareness and help solidify some relationships that they've already had or that they want to create. And I imagine, you know, kind of ultimately it will open the door to new client relationships because people will be interested in hearing about um, what Boyer Miller has to offer as a partner to their clients and to the people that they interview. And it's just, it's good because it's not Boyer Miller selling you anything. It's free something. Right. So I, I just think it's a great, it's just a great channel. Um, and obviously popular, you just have to be careful. You want to, you know, stand out and this is what you do. Like, how do you push through the clutter right. um, of the podcast universe? So there you go. Sure. Yeah. And he hit it out of the park with his first guest, Johnny Caraba. Hmm. What a great, I don't know if you happen to hear the episode or not, but it was so, it was just so good. I mean, I, I didn't really know much about Johnny until that podcast interview and just what a, uh, what an incredible uh, story. And he was so oh. humble and uh, down to earth and engaging. It was, yeah, I think he picked a great one to start with. Absolutely. And he's got more to come. Absolutely. I'm sure. So as we're kind of rounding the home stretch, I understand that you might just be a published author. Is that correct? I am. It's true. <laughs> an effort of blood, sweat, and tears, my friend, but I am an author published. That is awesome. And what is the name of the book? And is it available on Amazon? It, it is available on Amazon and the name of the book, and don't laugh, but get your head out of your bottom line and build your brand on purpose. So again, it's about changing the equation and putting profit where it belongs is a byproduct and an outcome of having a really great company. Yeah, I, I agree. And I've, and I actually own the book. I, in preparation for our interview, I acquired it on Amazon. So I guess it actually makes my question kind of in, insincere, right? When I asked you if it's on Amazon, when <laughs> you I've already knew. bought it on Amazon. <laughs> I didn't want to I didn't want to to try to steer the conversation too much. So so there were a few things about the book I wanted to talk about. One was a quote that you have, we are operating within a broken system that demands a focus on short-term gains and the almighty bottom line. And I completely agree with that. Can you talk more about about kind of what led to that summation of of what you've been seeing over the last decades? Sure. So, and it's it's easiest to point towards public companies, right? Because of the quarterly sure. pressures of of earnings, and you know we have a long history working with public and private companies, but with public companies working in their investor relations, and because the almighty shareholder was always kind of put front and center as the primary uh, stakeholder or constituent, and taking so much time from the CEO to focus on their needs versus where you really want a CEO and a leader inside the company or out mm -hmm. with customers and out right, with suppliers right. and in the community. And so there was all of that. And then in order to make, you know, they have to provide guidance. And then in order to make their numbers, quote unquote, they have to ultimately, even though they, you know, I really believe all CEOs that I've ever met come in with great intentions and long view for the company and have a sense of vision. 
but then they're put in a position to make some short-term decisions that may cut off their nose despite their face, just to make right. the numbers. Right. And it's it's especially difficult now because, you know, as as you get into quant trading and those sorts of things, you don't even know who your investors are. So sure. it's, it's harder and harder and, and stock is trading, you know, by the millisecond. So that pressure we saw a lot of our clients under. And so we were kind of under this <laughs> hypothesis that if we could pull them out from under that and really start kind of behind the scenes, building up their culture and helping them reduce turnover and helping them create client loyalty that their profits would start to, I, I said multiply, hopefully multiply, but grow, the, really grow the value, intrinsic value of the organization by doing other things and just making cuts. Right. No, that's, I think that's really astute. And the, you had a quote in there by Herb Kelleher, the founder of Southwest Airlines, and you uh, referenced it earlier in our conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think it really, and I remember the first time I heard that, I remembered thinking how brilliant it was. His idea that if you take care of your employees first, then they'll take care of your customers. And then the end result of that will be that the shareholders will be satisfied or happy. And I think in many ways, that quote, he almost sums up a lot of the philosophies in the book, right? That the, the bottom line is a byproduct, not a a end all be all for the purpose of the business. Does that sound Absolutely. about right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that every single person listening to this podcast has had an experience with bad customer service or a bad experience with somebody that's worked on, you know, a project with them. And it's most likely because that person was crabby that day. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's maybe working in a very toxic environment or, you know, doesn't have a sense of meaning and purpose in their work. And if we can change that attitude, like I said, if people went to work on Monday excited to be there, it's going to really alter the experience that your customers have with your brand or your product or your service. Sure. And that sure. to me creates loyalty. So, yes. I mean, I've gotten to the point USAA has been so wonderful as a company. I feel bad that not everybody can be a member that I don't even price out. I don't price out insurance ever. I just call USAA because I trust them. Right. I have a good experience every time they trust me or they make me feel like they trust me. You know, they don't ask Mm -hmm. me a bunch of questions or prove this or prove that. So yeah, I think Herb Kelleher is a visionary and he was onto something and he certainly built a whole company very clearly around that simple notion. Yep. Yep. I would, I would agree. There's just no reason all of us couldn't be doing that. I agree. Well, we are rounding the home stretch. I have three more questions. Okay. 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 And one of them may be a curveball. I forget who I learned this one from. What do you wish you knew when you were 25 years old or asked another way, if you could go back in time and give advice to your 25 year old self, Mm -hmm. what advice might you give? Ask for what you want. The worst case scenario is you get a no. And I think all of us are used to rejection in our lives in a number of different ways. And so I don't know where along the way from being a kid where we asked for everything we wanted, like the whole candy store. Sure, sure. We started self-negotiating and not being bold enough or courageous enough to ask for what we want. Because again, I mean, 
no one's going to fire you for asking a question or, you know, trying to take care of yourself. And you're more likely to get at least a partial yes. But if you don't ask, you won't, you won't get anything. And I, and it sounds simple, like simple advice, but it's really hard to do as an adult. And it's really hard to do in the business landscape. Yep. Agreed. I like that. And I wrote it down, ask for what you want. I think there's a biblical quote about that, right? Ask and you shall receive. And you shall so. receive at least one piece of candy. <laughs> at least <laughs> what? So is there anything that we didn't cover that you think we should have? Any last bits of wisdom or inspiration for our audience? I don't think I have anything specific that we haven't covered. I am questioning why I don't have a podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <There's> that. <laughs> but that's on me. <laughs> it's like, oh, ding, ding. Wait a second. <laughs> So we'll talk later about that, Dave. But sure. Uh, no, I think we've covered a lot of ground today. I really appreciate the time. Well, I, I do too. So if somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way to do so? Sure. Well, email is always the easiest way to get me. And it's B as in Bethany, Andell, A-N-D-E-L-L, at savagebrands.com. And then you can always find me on LinkedIn. So my profile, I'm happy to connect with anybody or have a conversation. That is awesome. Well, Bethany, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed getting to know you because before we started the call, you were you were a stranger, and now I feel like you're like you're a longtime friend. Uh, absolutely, and I I mean this from the bottom of my heart. This is the highlight of my week. So thank you so much for the conversation. Oh wow! Well, that's that's nobody's ever told me that. So that's that's going to make this episode even more memorable for me. <laughs> thank you, Dave. All right. Well, hey, you have a great day. And thanks again for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at www.podcastingstories.com. This podcast is brought to you by your podcast team. If you have ever considered having your own podcast, head over to www.yourpodcast.com dot team to learn more about how they can help you. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.